Nick Maximov, more like Dick Minimum. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number six of the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Network with your host, me, Silas Martin, joined by my lovely co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. How's it going, Christian? Doing all right. Yeah, so today we're here to recap last night's UFC fight card headed by Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. I'd say overall, I think this card performed pretty well, uh, pretty much other than the co-main event. Every fight was pretty much fun for one reason or another. It was a good mix of results and some interesting stuff. So um, let's just get right into the main event. Sean Strickland defeats Jack Hermanson by split decision, which is incredibly strange. Uh, uh, I don't really think there was any case for Jack Hermanson taking three rounds of this fight. But um, Christian, what did you think about Sean Strickland's performance in this fight? I thought it was a really tepid 50-45 win for Strickland. I thought it was ridiculous that Hermanson was given like a round by anyone. I kind of can get it for it, it maybe one round you can find for him, but it, the dynamic was so clear that Strickland was just like kind of tooling him. He, he was just mitigating a lot of offense from Hermanson, punishing a lot of Hermanson's mechanical inefficiencies, like you know not being able to throw straight punches while moving forward. Uh, he, he was getting kicking legs occasionally by Hermanson, but it was nothing Hermanson could really build off of. He wasn't hurting Strickland with the leg kicks. It was just he would throw some punches at him. Strickland would move back with his hands straight out and then get kicked in the leg a little bit. And it was just it was 25 minutes of Strickland being a better boxer and just kind of moderately tooling him up from range and then occasionally doing good body work and kicking with Hermanson just enough to keep Hermanson from kicking as much as he wanted to. He's actually got more done with kicks than uh, than Jack Hermanson did, I think. Like, offensively and, you know, like, proactive defense-wise, it's good to be throwing kicks to interrupt someone trying to kick you. So Hermanson got most of his offense shut down. I was pretty impressed by it. Like, that's a... Being able to just shut down Jack Hermanson for 25 minutes is not nothing at all. But it, it also showed so many of Hermanson's limitations. Yeah, so something that we talked about is that, like, I mean, I thought Jack Hermanson would be able to get his jab going at least to some extent against Sean Strickland just by virtue of Sean Strickland not being a southpaw. But I think it's just a deeper issue than that for Jack Hermanson where he's just, like, he wants to be pot-shotting from a range where he's not getting hit back that much. And if he's just, he's not that comfortable exchanging. And if someone's just, happy to exchange jabs and has a couple of ways to defend a jab in order to return with their own. He, he's just supremely uncomfortable in that range. He also just like didn't have the creativity to get around Sean Strickland's boxing defense, which apparently statistically is just insane. I'm sure, I'm sure there's got to be some context to that, but he, he, he has like a 70% defense rate for strikes to the head. There's just, just a lot of really just... Uh, Pretty ghetto rolls and slips and, and like hand traps and parries and stuff. Just tons of sparring tricks. But yeah, yeah, Jack Hermanson's offense mostly ended up being leg and body kicks, which just if you're getting outstruck to the head, you have to do a lot with 
with leg and body kicks to actually win rounds off of that. And he was still getting a decent bit of that mitigated. Like Sean Strickland wouldn't really like check the kicks that cleanly, but he'd be lifting his leg up and wouldn't be taking a ton of impact from them. Hamanson also just couldn't get Sean Strickland down for love nor money. Sean Strickland just very solid defensive wrestler and wouldn't even allow any kind of scramble that would give Jack Hamanson opportunities to try some weird shit. Yeah, so Sean Strickland is on a five-fight win streak in the middleweight division now. Should have him like pretty decently ranked where he can start like calling for decent matchups in the division. Title picture's a little tied up at the minute, but I mean, who do you want to see Sean Strickland fight next? I'd love to see him fight Marvin Vittori, but apparently they're, they're buddies and don't want to fight each other. I think Sean Strickland versus Darren Till sounds fun. Or, or not necessarily fun, but like I, I want to know what would happen. Hermanson, if he loses another fight, he might actually get cut. Like, I don't think the UFC really cares for him. Yeah, which is kind of rough. Hermanson's always a tough out. But, but yeah, but like you say, this fight just showed so many of his limitations and just ways that you, that you can just keep him out of a fight. Uh, I think he's definitely valuable to have around in, in the middleweight division. I, I'd be sad to see him go. Yep. Okay, so in the co-main event, we didn't talk about this fight last week. And I think you kind of saw why if you saw this fight. Uh, Nick Maximov versus Punahele Soriano. Nick Maximov takes a decision. And um, this was just an incredibly frustrating fight between someone with a really disjointed game in Nick Maximov who can like box a little bit and hit a couple takedowns, but they don't connect to each other in any meaningful way. And Punahele Soriano, who was getting moments off with the damage, but just didn't have the depth of defensive wrestling to get out of stalemate positions and would just would just keep hitting the same switch up against the cage, but then ending up in the same rear way cinch and they would just they would just do the same thing over and over again. And it was really frustrating. Christian, what did you what did you think about this fight? I thought it was just Pun uh Punahele being good enough of a wrestler to not get finished on the ground or hit at all on the ground, but not good enough to be able to strike with his opponent that he very clearly wanted to strike with. And Maximov, I thought Maximov like looked all right. He's like eight and no or something now. So he's, he's not like a super experienced guy. He's, he's, he fights like an eight, no fighter that has the, like a very strong wrestling game. They just wants to get a good position and then maybe do a bit of ground and pound from it, but normally just try and hunt for a submission. He's he's way more generic than you'd expect the Nick Diaz fighter to be. Yeah, I think his big problem in this fight, something that you were calling out while we were watching it last night, was just that he wouldn't be happy to just get offense off in whatever position the fight was ending up in. He he would be constantly trying to get like more dominant positions to be getting damage off and would just be would just be burning like minutes of the fight where neither guy was getting any offense off. And I, I really think Punahele Soriano had a decent argument for winning this fight. I, re- I mean, he had a pretty clear damage edge, but the optics f- for him were just so bad with how much time he spent just getting ground out along the cage. Not a particularly spectacular fight, but where whereas the rest of the cards uh, delivered... Pretty strongly on excitement. So next up in the welterweight division, Shavkat Rachmanov took on Carsten Harris. We we said it was going to be insane. We thought it might be competitive as well, and it kind of wasn't. Carsten Harris's tendency to just like 
to just vibe wherever the fight's going and just be ready to do violence just really let him down against someone who actually has a process towards getting a finish and an idea of where they want the fight to go. Shavkat just kind of pressured Carlston Harris along the cage for a couple of minutes before he found the read to just land land a wheel kick that um I don't think hurt Carlston Harris that bad. It, it didn't land that clean, but like knocked him over and like kind of stunned him a little bit. But then we saw the absolutely savage ground and pound from Shafkar Rachmanov that we called out last week, where he just uh, stacked over Carlston Harris and landed a couple of huge, like just straight, clean shots uh, directly downwards, and just like Carlston Harris was out. It was absolutely brutal. Thought it was it was definitely a level test for Shafkat, and he passed it really easily. the The finishing sequence itself is really all there is to talk about for the fight because Harris didn't get anything meaningful off before and Rachmanov didn't like didn't necessarily set up the finish. He just kind of spin kicked him over. And then while he was on the ground, he was like, I'm going to attack you. And Harris tried to retain guard and then got his legs passed and then punched once in the face and then was completely unconscious. And then Rachmanov went for more, but like it was just one good shot is all he needed to knock him out, which is incredibly impressive. You, you don't see knockout artists on the ground very much in MMA. Even though it's the only rule set that allows it. See, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited for Rachmanov after that performance. Um, I'd, I'd like to see them just really put him in there with with some top 15 guys at welterweight. Give him Jeff Neal, Muslim Salikov, any of those guys. I want to see him tested. I want to see him get a number next to his name. And I vote he fights Michael Chiesa. Ooh, that's mean. I mean, yeah. I like it, though. Uh, so next up, a fight that we apparently like talked about basically more than anything else last week because we were so fascinated in it. Um, Sam Alvey versus Brandon Allen. Sam Alvey, he, he even landed the right hook. Got it early. That was basically his win condition. But uh, I think it's like Sam Alvey's just like basically shot. I don't even think he has power anymore. And did his thing where he just lets his opponent back him up to the cage with absolutely no pushback. And Brandon Allen just kind of tooled him up for a little bit, dropped him with a left hook in the second round, and then choked him out. Um, which was Sam Alvey's second uh, loss to club and sub finishing in a rear naked choke with no hooks in three fights. So I don't want to be that guy and like take pleasure in a guy losing his job, but there is absolutely no reason for Sam Alvey to be in the UFC at this point. Yes, there is. If he loses one more, then he breaks BJ Penn's record. He just tied it last night. So now he's, he's got to go for the record. The most fights without a, lo- without a win in the UFC. Kind of impressive. Like he, had, he had to like somehow have the personality to stay in the UFC without any of the goods to actually be like winning fights. So th- did you have anything else to say about the, the fight itself? I do not think there was like anything to say about the fight. It, it was Sam Alvey being Sam Alvey and, and getting beaten by a guy younger than him. Yeah, we memed about it for long enough that Sam Alvey would be in this fight, but came to the conclusion that like, no, Brandon Allen's probably just like going to knock him out either when he decides to or maybe just by accident because it's Sam Alvey versus a, a functional, decent middleweight. Yeah, and like Alan was hit, kind of having troubles establishing a jab, but you know, Alvy's not going to punish you for that. 
Yeah, also it was on four days' notice and Sam Alvey was twice the size of him. And, you know, the the one thing we saw that Sam Alvey can still do is defend a takedown. Yeah, he will defend a takedown. He's not going to get submitted by being taken down and submitted. He will get submitted by being knocked out and then submitted. Doesn't even have to enter a grappling exchange. Just submit him while he's hurt. Because he also almost got standing uh, arm triangled by Ryan Spann. Just a, just a consistent pattern of you don't even have to take him to the ground to choke him. Okay, so next up in the middleweight division, we had the real tough finale between Sean Gore and Brian Battle. And to me, this was some combination of a very consistent and courageous performance from Brian Battle and a, a really quite frustrating performance from Sean Gore where he just, uh, just kind of didn't do enough in a fight that it seemed like he had in the bag. What did you think about this one? It had kind of every aspect of the matchup end up happening that I was expecting going into it. There was a lot of Gore not being able to establish his offense because Battle was just throwing more volume. Uh, Battle has a, a slight size advantage, and he was just kind of punching Gore around, like like being a bit of a bully. Uh, while having his back against the fence, strangely, uh, Battle had his back against the fence most of the fight, and Gore was just standing right in front of him, maintaining good position, but not really doing any, anything from there. He has a problem with inactivity. Could have to do with the fact that he trains with the, uh, Douglas Lima. But he, it seemed like a like Gore's fight to lose, and he kind of took every opportunity that was given to him to lose it. If he had just thrown some punches to the body, that that would have done wonders for him. Like just throw like an uppercut to the body once around, and that would have changed the dynamic of the fight completely. Because Battle was just not getting much pushback for throwing all that volume, even though Gore was trying to be a counterpuncher. It was quite strange. But what you'd expect from two guys around the level that they are, they're both very inexperienced. So I think it makes sense. Yeah, I mean Gore was constantly getting battle to the cage but he's he spends a lot of most of his fights kind of kind of on the cage anyway um just just being a, a weird out fighty kicky guy was not great Raincraft, but he was just keeping up such a such a higher pace of activity and yeah Trayshawn Gore he he certainly has the issue that like he just doesn't throw when he's pressuring he wants to get people up against the cage and then counter as they lash out back at him which, yeah, it just shows how raw he is. He, he, yeah, he has some amateur experience in the fights on tough, but he was 3-0 and going into this fight. And I still think there's plenty of potential for him because he's a great athlete and he clearly he clearly knows how he wants to fight in, in, in a way that is going to work for him and is trying to build a functional style. I, I, just, I just think he's, he's, he's a little bit raw for where he's at right now. And it just showed the inexperience that he like basically dropped Brian Battle a couple times, hurt him very badly in the second round, um, had his eye pretty much completely swollen shut, and just let Battle outwork him in the last round. Yeah, very frustrating performance, but it's it's what you got to expect when you get two guys in from the Ultimate Fighter that needed more time on the regionals to kind of develop their game. Yeah, pretty much. Because it seemed like two inexperienced fighters trying to put on like a great performance that is just beyond their years in ability to actually perform. Okay, so opening the main card, we had an absolutely banger action fight 
in the featherweight division between Julian Arosa and Steven Peterson. Julian Arosa picking up a split decision victory in a fight where I really don't think you could be too mad about the result going either way. Just pretty, just pretty much back and forth insanity from the second round on. I think I really underrated Steven Peterson last week because uh, it's just easy to underestimate guys who are just like a just a bog standard white dude MMA fighter with a Superman tattoo. But he really like weathered a storm early and like made some adjustments and got Julian Arosa's timing and at a certain point just couldn't miss with his right hand. But Julian Arosa, apparently, if you don't just spark him out, just catch him cold in the first minute, you, you, you've got to knock him dead because he will just keep coming for you. For a man who has been knocked out as many times as he has, he fights with absolutely no regard for his own safety. And it, it is absolutely fantastic to watch. What do you think about this one? I thought it was like pretty classic version of both guys, but they, they allowed it to like become an action fight because they're, they're both so willing to just bang even when they aren't winning the exchanges very clearly. So the fight the entire way through was very competitive. Even when one guy would get hurt, the other guy would get hurt shortly after sometimes much worse. And it was them just kind of throwing a bunch of shots at each other for 15 minutes. And the second round is one of the craziest rounds of the year, probably going to hold up as round a, a round of the year contender which you always love to see from a fight of this level where it's two journeymen. And I, I kind of thought Peterson got the decision, but it doesn't matter. And Arosa had way more to gain from it, and Peterson missed weight, so, you know. It, it, it's weird context. Like, Peterson probably got paid $7,000 for this fight or something. Yeah, um, I just need to see Julian Arosa versus Billy Quarantillo. Sounds like a good fight. I can't really think of any, anyone else around that level that they could give him. Absolute insanity. I think the guys are perfectly matched for just like the level they're at and the kind of style they bring to a fight. That, that is a guaranteed fight of the night. And I just loved in this fight, you just see some of uh, some of Julian Rose's incredibly weird veteran tricks. Like his, his defense is kind of terrible sometimes and then you'll see him do something like uh, teep Steven Peterson's shoulder to... Stop him from throwing a right hand. <laughs> Julian Rosa's always had many tricks, but not a game that allows him to implement a lot of the tricks that he, he has in his back pocket. He has a great defensive teep, but he doesn't have many great defensive teeping performances. He, he's like, oh, I'll just teep them if they come at me, then get back to pressure. Yeah, and he like has a great defensive teep, but he also doesn't like have a guard. Yeah. Yeah, great fight. If you haven't seen it, go to check it out. And then um, at the top of the prelims, we had, I thought, a fantastic performance from uh, John Castaneda. I thought he really ex- like did a good job of exploiting Miles John's tendencies to just take the back foot, look for big shots, and you know want to be more passive and keep a lower pace and mitigate damage. And John Castaneda just took it to him, put on a huge pace, forced Miles John to throw back at a pace that he just couldn't sustain, and then... Uh, dropped him with like I think he got him with like a knee in the clinch and, uh, and some punches up against the cage and then sunk in a nasty arm triangle choke that had Miles Johns completely unconscious uh, something we've actually seen John Castaneda do before you hear he uh, hit it on Marcelo Rojo just before he came to the UFC not something that I bought up because I didn't I wasn't necessarily sure if it was a part of his game but apparently that's his move because he, he's really good at it 
thought it was interesting. I had kind of been counting Castaneda out. Just I, I didn't think he would have the like physicality to be able to handle it. But he he really like he, he seemed all right. Like he was definitely slower and less powerful, but he didn't let that affect him mentally. He was staying in front of his opponent like pretty much the entire fight. And he was he had good ideas shot selection wise. He was throwing strikes upwards to try and catch Miles Johnson. He ducks because Miles Johnson ducks a lot. He was doing. I think he framed a good deal in this fight, which was nice to see. He was he was putting on good volume. He was throwing good one twos, and eventually just broke down Miles Johnson and submitted him. Yeah, I mean something that does make me think is, um, you know that. This shows just a pretty clear issue with ha- the way that Miles Johns is trying to fight in this division. I mean, you said that he like wants to be Yoel Romero, and that kind of tracks. Um, but you, you know, you also called out John Castaneda as a guy who you know will just kind of vibe with where the fight's going. And I have to wonder if he was like, "Oh, I'm going to put on a pressure volume performance. I'm going to fuck this guy up," or if he just saw Miles Johns like. Like backing up and not throwing anything, and he was like, "Oh, I could just walk forward and beat the shit out of this guy." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, cool. This this person's game works really well into mine. I can just beat the shit out of him when he puts himself against the fence. I don't even have to do anything." So good win for John Castaneda. I can't really see him making it in the elite of this division because it's the best division in the sport, and that's no slight on him as a fighter. But um, I don't know you could put him in with like the. Uh, the Jonathan Martinez's and the Davy Grants of the division, he's going to have some good fights. So next up in the featherweight division, we had, um, I thought, a, a, a really great kickboxing clinic from Hakeem Duodu. Um, Really just shut Mike Trezano out for most of three rounds. Wasn't a brutal ass whooping, but uh, just, just a great uh, defensive and just creative uh, striking performance. Um, I thought Mike Trezano made an okay account of himself, had some good ideas. Um, he didn't do the thing where he lets his leg get kicked up and then decides to start doing lead teeps. He was actually like teeping actively with Hakeem from the first round and trying to get his jab going. Uh, but Hakeem, I mean, you, you, you've either got to catch him with something crazy and, and wild like, uh, like Danny Henry did, well, you've got to be able to just straight up out wrestle him like Mavsar Evluev did because people who are going to just like uh, agree to have a kickboxing match with Hakim Duodu are, are going to have a rough night. In a way, what he does r- reminds me uh, like a slightly lower level of um, Sitachai, who we talked about last week, who's just like able to drive wedges in multiple ranges that just make it incredibly hard to strike with him because there's very few people who are able to kick with Hakeem Duodu in this division because he's very uh, active about both defending kicks and countering off of his kick defense. And um, if you get into the pocket with him, he's really sneaky about clinch entries and smothering your boxing offense off of that and then using that to regain the center. And then you back out of kicking range with him. So uh, what do you think about this one, Christian? thought Trezano did as well as he can in the matchup, but his strategic planning seemed kind of weird. Like, it, it felt like he wanted to win a Muay Thai fight with Hakeem Dawadu, a guy who has had many Muay Thai fights and is, is better at that range. And, and even in the clinch, he was having some success with Dawadu just on length. 
But Davidu's not the type of clincher that's really going to punish someone for being taller than him. So I, I think that that was kind of to be expected, that Davidu wouldn't be able to get much offensive success in the clinch. But he also wasn't getting fucked up in the clinch. He was just getting out of the clinch very easily. You just push, push him away. And then Trezano's like, fuck, I'm back at range, losing a kickboxing match. And he didn't seem to have many good ideas for getting takedowns. I believe he got one takedown at some point. But he didn't keep him on the ground for any lengthy period of time. It was like 10 seconds, then he was a backup. So, yeah, which I think shows like what Mavsar Evluev did is not just like a cheat code to beat Hakeem. You have to be that good at wrestling. Yeah, he, he's not a bad wrestler. It's just not his game. He's a, he's a Muay Thai guy. He, he wants to kick with you at range, deny you entries, and fuck you up at the end of his punches. Or the end of his punching range, I mean. Oh, yeah. So, so I also really liked um, the way that Hakeem was punctuating his boxing combinations with body hooks because he was being really creative about how he was mixing them up in combination. He wouldn't just be like one, two, and then body punch. You know, he was constantly changing at what point in the combination and at what side the, the body punch was coming off of. So there was just really never any way for Mike Trezano to, to adjust to that offense. And Trezano started off the fight with some some good ideas, but the second that Dawood just got a feel for the range on his one-two, there wasn't really anything Trezano had that could push Hakeem back or hurt him. So Hakeem was mostly just pulling slightly out of the way of jabs and then landing his own counter jabs throughout the entire fight. And Trezano just never was given any opportunity to build offense. Yeah, I I, I just love seeing just... uh the little differences in a fight when you can tell they've had some some serious kickboxing experience. And you can put Hakeem in pretty much any fight in this division. I'm going to watch it. So yeah, I mean, I know he's booked to the minute, but at some point, i got to see him. i, I got to see Hakeem Dawadu versus Edson Barboza. That just sounds like a great fight. Yeah, I think that would be great. I also want to see Hakeem versus Bryce Mitchell. Someone that's like an effective grappler, but also has enough liabilities on the feet to where he might get really badly fucked up. Okay, so before that, um, Chidi and Jaquani for Marc-Andre Barrio. Not a ton to say about this because it ended in about 18 seconds, but it was a cool knockout, and I think Chidi might be an okay middleweight. Yeah, his opponent was out in about five seconds into the fight, but it took the ref like 10 seconds to actually stop it. Because the ref's like, oh shit, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, he literally just walked up and threw, th- threw a one-two and he died. There's not much to say about this fight, but Chidi and Jaquani has got a pretty extensive uh, regional career, good bit of experience, and he's, he's a good athlete. He's huge for the division. Um, I, think, I think he's really got some promise, and I think he's at that point of experience where you, you, you don't need to give him the slow roll in the UFC. You can just give him the Chris Curtis matchmaking. And so, did you have any thoughts on Alexis Davis versus Julia Stoliarenko? Okay, so Alexis Davis has no knees, while her opponent has no ankles. So that was a fun, uh, interesting dynamic. Alexis Davis is, is very stiff, but she was fainting the teep that she was barely able to throw. Like, she, she would just be marching in, like, I'm going to teep you, I'm going to teep you. And then she'd throw one teep every, like three minutes or so and the only team i remember her landing actually hurt julia and then they proceeded to grapple in the third round and uh julia got her ass beat i thought it was a perfectly serviceable fight 
Alexis Davis has pretty good ground and pound, put on a good performance. I, I saw some people saying that Julia was winning the rounds, uh, one, two rounds, which I disagree with vehemently. I, I thought that Alexis Davis shut her down pretty easily throughout the entire fight. Solyarenko seemed to want to go for the the armbar early in the fight, which, as her record shows, I believe it's eight of her nine wins are by armbar. So the two armbars she went for didn't work, and then Alexis just recognized that she was unarmbarable in the matchup and could just proceed to let go on top and started fucking her up. And in the third round in particular, she started getting a lot of elbows off, was hammer fisting, and good punches to the body. Just overall smart ground and pound from Alexis Davis, and she showed her experience. Okay, so um, Brazilian Khabib went smash. Uh, Jill and Almeida uh, took out Danilo Marquez in the first round. Pretty much just took him down in like the first 10 seconds, got mount, and smashed his face in like he was playing a set of bongos. It was pretty sick. Not a lot to say about it, but Almeida definitely is walking the walk for saying he's like Khabib. Because he's he's been saying that he fights like Khabib, and then he comes out and gets in is like grabbing the hand behind his opponent's back, and then trying to get top position, and then got the mount and just pounded the fuck out of someone's face. And he does the the cross wrist ride or whatever the thing, whatever it's called, the Dagestani handcuff. So yeah, I mean, where do you want to see Jilton Almeida go from here at light heavyweight? I'd like to see him fight Paul Craig. Oh. That's a good one. That'd be interesting, right? Yeah. I, th- I think it's a 50-50 fight almost, unless Jelton's a lot worse than he seems to be. I mean, I, I want to see him against someone who can defend a takedown and will try to strike with him. I mean, yeah, but that's boring. I want to see him versus a grappler. <laughs> that's just going to do you. I want to see someone who will just pull, pull guard and, and try and mirror lock him. Yeah, I don't want to see someone that's going to try and put on a performance and deny him his win condition. I want to see him scramble with someone. That's actually good at jiu-jitsu. Danilo Marquez is all right at jiu-jitsu. He's, he's not nothing to beat him. That's kind of why I want to see him get pushed by fighting Paul Craig or something like that. Yeah, he just didn't just beat him. He absolutely clowned him. It was like, it was like a, a man beating his son. Yeah, he took him down in like five seconds. So uh, Phil Rowe knocked out Jason Witt. Did you have anything to say about this one? Seemed like Rowe, I believe he said as much as himself. He just had troubles getting into the fight. And then in the second round, he started feeling more comfortable. Uh, Rowe is not athletic enough to like defend takedowns in, in an aesthetically pleasing way. He just kind of just gets taken down and then relies on his limb length to put himself in weird positions on the ground that makes him hard to submit and hard to ground and pound. He's very negative with his jiu-jitsu. And in the second round, after a full round of stalling on the ground by both men, uh, he kind of got out into open space a little bit, started putting his opponent against the fence, and then really just Jason Witt did everything you don't want to do against someone that's much taller than you that has a a power advantage. You don't want to be ducking down so that he can just throw a chopping right hand on your face over and over, and you don't want to be pulling away and, and... occasionally he was either standing too tall or too short. He, he just didn't really understand how to fight the height matchup and then got put against the fence and destroyed by a three-punch combination, I believe it was. Very nice shot selection. It was very standard, though. Like, nothing super intricate. And then opening the prelim card, Malcolm Gordon beat Denise Bondar by um absolutely disgusting arm injury. 
Um, it may have been from one of the arm bars that Gordon attempted on the ground, or there may have been a pre-existing injury that we don't know about, but uh, just somewhere in a scramble, Bondar went to post, and his arm just bent completely the wrong way. And it was fucking disgusting. What did you think? I think that Bondar didn't even really do anything that wrong in the position. It was just his arm didn't have the structural integrity that it normally does in that position. So he kind of bent in wrong. It was a weird angle that he was getting sagged on by his opponent. Like, you don't want to be in that position on one arm because it is a lot of weight being put just on your arm. But I don't, I think it was kind of just like, you know, shit happens in a fight. I don't really think it was anything important in the matchup that led to it. And I don't think it really said anything about either guy's ceiling. Like, it, it's a, it was the opening fight for a reason. Neither guy has a lot of hype behind them. So, yeah, it's just, just kind of like a weird thing that happens sometimes. Okay, well, that's all the fights from last night. Um, and if you want to hear our reactions in real time to the entire card, uh, we did an alternate commentary with two men from Tangredome. Uh, it's up on the Fight Site Patreon. It's kind of an absolute mess with mostly, yeah, very informal, mostly just kind of shooting the shit. Some actual analysis in there, kind of, but, but it's good fun. If you're a patron, go check it out. And if you're not a patron, please consider coming one. Please consider becoming one. As well as all that, there's a huge library of fantastic analytical content and a cool Discord server with a bunch of cool people who are fun to hang out with and know stuff about fights. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can join us in just a few days where we're going to be previewing UFC 271. Rob Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, the rematch... Derek Lewis, Taitui Vasa, and more. We'll catch you next week. Peace.